Yes, Proverbs chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. So uh, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read together the opening 11 verses. Uh, So not a huge uh, section, but one that uh, goes together in some uh, important ways I think will be uh, really fruitful for us this morning. So uh, Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Uh, Solomon writes this, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come in the hands of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. All right, this is our meditation this morning. Go ahead and seat, uh, have a seat, and we'll pray, and we'll jump into our study this morning. So, Father, thank you for uh, the time that you've given us today. Uh, this is a passage that has a lot of uh, practical application for our students, and I think it's also one that uh, really reveals a lot of our human heart and what we worship and what we live for. And so I just pray for an appropriate level of conviction. There's no sense of trying to shame people unnecessarily, but there is such a thing as good guilt. And I I pray that you would bring that uh, where appropriate this morning so that our students can better see uh, how their practical lives are a reflection of what they worship. And so uh, we ask for your favor now as we go to your word. Thank you for Solomon and for the wisdom that you imparted to him that we know first and foremost comes from you. So we give you the glory for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, thinking the other day about uh, all the, the fun animal comparisons that students sometimes are compared to in a good way. Right, so think about, uh, have you ever heard somebody use the phrase like, oh man, that person runs like a gazelle, right? Have you heard that before? That's a, that's a compliment, that's a good thing. Long, striding legs, fast, it's a good thing. Or perhaps like this, that person has the voice of a mockingbird. You ever heard that one before? I don't know if that's the correct uh, bird. Is that the songbird, mockingbird? I think that sounds right. Is there another bird that sings better? I'm not, I'm not really, I didn't, this was not where I had time to do a lot of research this week, so we're just going to go with Mockingbird. That sounds about right. Uh, or perhaps you've heard this one, that person is as wise as an owl. Um, I don't exactly know how we ever determined that owls were wise. It'd be really funny if they were, they were dumb, but uh, apparently owls are wise, and if you're compared to an owl in that sense, that's a good thing. Or perhaps you've been compared or you've heard somebody be compared to a real worker bee, right? They're really, uh, they're, they're, they're good in their labors, they, they work hard, uh, they contribute. It's good things, right? How would you like this one for your comparison? Ah, oh, that student, they're as lazy as a slug. 
right? That has a pretty nice ring to it, doesn't it? No? Not feeling it this morning? Okay. As funny as it is, I would argue that laziness is uh, and has really in many ways become uh, one of the most respectable sins in our society, especially among young people. And when I say respectable, I don't mean that as in like it's a good thing. Uh, I mean it as in it's respected uh, having become normalized and just kind of accepted, right? Like it's just a way of life. Like, oh yeah, they're a young person. Uh, they're just, you know, they're just lazy, right? And it's okay. Like it's just, it's who they are. It's the stage of life. They'll grow out of it. Yada, 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 right? It's not really seen as a big deal. And yet I would argue for you this morning that laziness is perhaps one of the most dangerous sins in all scripture. And I do use that word very intentionally when I say sins. I do believe that laziness is sin, or at least it's the fruit, it's the outward expression of sin that is happening in our lives. I think as you look at the, the course of the Bible, uh, you see that God hates laziness. Satan loves laziness. In fact, uh, Satan is very content for you to be lazy, to waste your life, and be distracted by lesser things. Right? He loves that. In fact, that's, that's his ideal plan, is to get you to be distracted by the things of this world so that you're not intentionally invested in the things of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but that's, that's something perspective-wise that we need to think about. And the question is, what does the Proverbs have to teach us about this subject? And I think what we're going to see in the passage that we're studying this morning is this, that hard work is actually a practical expression of wisdom. So we've talked time and time again throughout this series that wisdom is what? If your name is not Lincoln, you can't answer. Or if your name is not Lincoln, you must answer. Yes, Caden. Nice. That just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Once you get it down, it really rolls off there, right? Wisdom is worshiping God by rightly applying his truth to real life situations. And so you think about it. Wisdom, again, I want you to, to not lose sight of this. Wisdom is worship. And so when we think about work and how we put forth effort in our lives, I want you to see this morning that that is a tangible expression of worship. The way you work, how you work, your mindset, your, uh, your strength and your energy, what, what you put forth is actually a reflection of a bigger issue. Another wisdom stands in opposition to laziness. There is wisdom in work because hard work is an expression of worship. And I want to unpack that uh, further this morning. But before we do that, I want to push fast forward button uh, real quick. Because you notice we're studying verses 1 through 11, but really the focus of our time this morning is going to be on verses 6 through 11. Um, and I don't want to disregard what is said in verses 1 through 5. So rather than disregard it and just move on to uh, the others, I do believe that there's still a connection here. Um, but I think it's more practical once we get to verses 6 or 11. But I want to give you just a few overarching principles of what verses 1 through 5 are teaching. And then we'll jump into the, the real substance of our time together this morning. So you look at verses 1 through 5. We read it before. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, 
have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son. Save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. So I want to give you just the three overarching principles of these few verses here, because I do think there is still some connection to our larger uh, idea here of hard work. The first principle is this. Uh, be careful what you commit to. Be careful what you commit to. Uh, you notice that uh, much of this is uh, verbal in nature, right? You have given your pledge to a stranger. You're snared in the words of your mouth. Uh, I do believe there's a very practical application here of be careful what you commit to here. Um, do not be quick to make hasty deals uh, with other people. And the idea of security is kind of a weird uh, thing. It's not maybe as applicable for students at this age, but it's the idea that you're kind of helping take on the debts of other people. Um, you're helping them out, which may on the surface sound good, but a lot of times um, it actually is enabling laziness on the part of that other person. And in fact, I think that's the second principle here, that you don't enable or you don't encourage laziness in other people. Um, there's not, I'm not here to say there's not appropriate times when you help out other people. In fact, that's consistent with what we saw uh, earlier in Proverbs uh, about what kindness does and generosity. Uh, but there's a difference between uh, having a generous heart towards people and also encouraging and enabling somebody as they continue in their own self-destructive patterns. And so Solomon here wants us to be careful with what you commit to. He wants you to be sure to not encourage laziness in others. But then thirdly, he says, if you are in a bad place, uh, uh, stop and get out as quickly as you can. Uh, that's really what he's talking about in verses 3 through 5 there. Uh, he says, do it immediately. He says, give no eyes to your sleep, no eyelids to your slumber. And he compares it to like an animal in a trap, right? Like, I don't know about you, but most animals, when they get into a trap... They don't just quickly give up. They, they fight for a while. They, they do everything they can. Even if they can't get out of it, they're going to put forth some degree of, of effort to try. And so that's what he's saying here. Like an animal caught in a trap, you need to realize what you've got yourself into. And you need to, in a God-honoring way, get out of that as quickly as possible. So that's kind of the big overarching without going all to the, into all the minute details there. That's what verses 1 through 5 are teaching us. But now I want us to consider verses 6 and 11 where we're given two biblical examples of work. And I think you're going to realize very quickly that one of those examples is positive and one of those is negative. And we're going to start with the negative example first. Or sorry, the positive example first. And example one that we see is the example of the ant. Yeah, when we're talking about examples, we're not talking about people. We're talking about insects today. A living example worth studying. By the way, anybody know what the study of ants is called? I just thought this was fun. Anybody know what it is? I'd be impressed if you knew this. Yeah. Anthropology. Oh, anthropology. I like that. It's kind of like anthropology, but it's not. It's, it's not the correct answer, but I like the idea there. I'm going to have to see if I can pronounce it. Myrmecology. M-Y-R-M-E-C-O-L-O-G-Y. Myrmecology. That just rolls off the tongue too, doesn't it? Now you know, right? So what we don't want is myrmecophobia. Myrmecophobia. I don't know. Anyways, we don't want a fear of ants. We want to embrace ants. I know lots of you, you don't like ants in your house, but guess what? 
these ants, they're there to teach you a lesson. Uh, you might not realize in the moment, and you might be wanting to get rid of them, but let's be quick to study them for just a moment, because the opening line here uh, is really a challenge to those who are tempted towards laziness. In fact, I think it's kind of funny that he's, Solomon is exhorting the lazy person to go and do something. And what he's calling the person to do is to go to the ant. Take your time, go and study the ant for just a moment. Uh, he essentially calls for the ant to become your tutor, to teach you something. And so Solomon takes us to ant school today. You didn't know this is where you're going in Sunday school, but you're going to ant school. You're going to have lots of things to talk about with your parents today. Uh, ants would have been actually something, it's funny, uh, they, they would have been normal. We think about in our houses today, we want to get rid of ants. Uh, in that society, you didn't have exterminators, you didn't have your raid bug spray, you just kind of accepted the fact that ants were just a part of your everyday uh, life. And so what Solomon wants us to do is he wants us to study them, he wants us to, to learn from them. And so the question is, what does Solomon want to teach us about the work ethic of the ant? Well, the first thing is this, the ant understands hard work. The ant understands hard work. The call for the lazy person here is to observe the ways of the ant. Let me ask you this, let's just put this on the, the flip side, the negative side. What is one thing you never see an ant doing. What is one thing you never see an ant doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Or I'm just going to even put it a different way. What? Yeah. You never see an ant that's standing still, right? You think about all the bugs and stuff that are out there that are just like, you know, just stuck where they are. We had a praying mantis in our house this last week in the girls room <laughs> i don't know how it got there but like but they move but they for the most part also stay really still uh, but you never see an ant that just is not moving they're always in motion always doing something there's no such thing as a chill ant uh no such thing as a lazy ant uh it's like a round square it doesn't exist um it's actually funny, the last couple of weeks I've had several different meetings uh, with people over at Eli's Coffee Shop in Mackinac, and I've been sitting outside, and if you ever sit outside at about three o'clock in the afternoon, and this happened, I think, all three days that I was there, because I was there at about the same time every day, there is a, a parade of ants that goes from one flower box across the ground to the other one. They don't get distracted, they don't go off on their own rogue mission, but there is like a parade of thousands of ants that move across from one place to the other. It's, it's actually really cool to watch. Uh, you might be really grossed out by it, worried, but I can assure you they're not there for you. They're there for their own business. They're focused. They're doing work. Uh, you see, ants, they're on a mission and they stick to it. They're hard workers that do their job. Uh, and there's many jobs, but they do them all well. And ants teach us the importance of working hard, especially, think about this, they're not doing so for their own benefit, they're doing so for the benefit of one another, for the colony that they're a part of. You don't necessarily just see rogue ants, they're usually all working together for the good of one another. And I think we all need to understand that hard work is important to God because work is an expression of worship. 
not just wisdom. It's an expression of worship. And if you don't believe me about that, you need to go back to the earliest chapters of the Bible. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, before sin enters this world, what does God commission Adam to do? Work. He calls him to cultivate the land. He calls him to name the animals. He calls him to do work. Guess what, student? Work did not come after sin entered this world. In other words, work is a naturally good gift of God. Now, because of Genesis 3 and because of sin entering the world, God makes it very clear that work is now harder. There is sweat. There is toil. Work is not easy. But that doesn't change the fact that God created us to work. Work is a tangible expression of what it is to be uh, created in God's image. And because of that, work is actually a very good and right thing. We're not too big or too important to learn a good work ethic from even the smallest of creatures in God's kingdom. So ants, are, think about it this way. God created ants to teach us how to work. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Secondly... Uh, the ant embraces self-discipline. Uh, look at verse 7. Without having any chief officer or ruler. Uh, what does that mean? It means that they don't have somebody who is mightily in charge, and yet everybody still does their job. So another thing you're going to notice about ants is that they are essentially self-directed. No ant is standing on the sidelines with a megaphone shouting at the other people what to do. They're not watching them. They're simply doing what they do because it's what's expected of them. It's hardwired into their brain to work that way. It means that they don't have to be told by a parent. Ooh, Pastor Scott, you're getting really personal now, right? They don't have to be told by a parent what needs to be done. They don't need to be told by a teacher or a coach or a boss to do what is already expected of them, right? I told you we're going to get a little personal this morning, and that's okay. That's good. You need to be rubbed the right way. But self-discipline is committed to working hard even, get this, when no one else is watching. That's the basis of integrity in the scriptures. I think about it, right? Like... How many of you, honestly, right, have been told what to do by mom and dad, maybe given the list of chores to do, and you put them off, but maybe mom and dad go out for a few hours and then they start to come back and you hear the brakes in the driveway, what do you start doing? Oh, jump up and start acting like you've been working hard, right, and doing all these chores, although it's funny because they're going to realize that you have been not doing them, right, for all that time. I'm sure some of you have done some version of that story before. And if not, then let me ask you this. Have you ever stopped doing a drill whenever your coach wasn't watching you? you know, what was expected of you to do and you decided, oh, coach isn't watching, I'm just going to slack off now. Or perhaps messing on your phone until teacher or pastor turns around and sees you on it, right? Like, we, we all, we, we, we can start to see ourselves in some of those things. But the wise worker does the task when asked, without complaint, and without being asked. Uh, a task that is expected or even unexpected, right? So, you know, for your life, a lot of times there are certain things maybe your parents expect of you 
that you should do, and that's good and right and appropriate, and mom and dad are the ones that are in charge of your life, but you also probably know what you could do to go above and beyond, uh, because you know what they appreciate. And so this principle goes beyond just doing what is expected of us, but even to maybe some of the things that are unexpected of us, because we know that it serves the good of other people. Uh, so we see from the ant teaches us how to work hard and embraces self-discipline, but we also see in verse 8 that the ant enjoys delayed gratification. Uh, verse 8, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Um, ants are master gatherers because they understand that if they don't prepare food now, they die later because they starve to death, right? Um, any of you ever see one of the first and original Pixar films of Bug Life, Bugs Life? Yeah? Raise a hand. Who's seen a Bugs Life here? Okay, good. Good. A good number of you have. That's awesome. A lot of people don't like that one. That, I think that's one of the most underrated of the Pixar films, but that's beyond the point here. Anyways, the, the, the principle of this becomes very clear in uh, a movie like A Bug's Life, right? They understand that they have a quota to meet of food that they need to store up for the winter. Otherwise, they're not going to make it through. Uh, so they harvest food now so that they can eat it when they need it. Uh, the point is this, they plan for the future rather than enjoying everything now. And I think that that's the difference between hard work and laziness, is that laziness so often wants to enjoy all the pleasures and all the gratification of life now, rather than understanding the pace of things and understanding what it means to invest well now, so that later you can enjoy those things. In other words, gratification comes later, not always immediately. So you might think about uh, how that relates to uh, money. How many of you had a job over the summer that paid you some level of money, whether it be babysitting, whether some other job? Okay, actually a pretty good number of you. That's awesome. If you didn't, that's okay. Your time's coming. Uh, lawn mowing, always a good thing. Even if you're a junior high boy, you're at that age. You can go out and get some money, okay? Uh, but think about this with money, right? So the idea here is that you're wise with your stewardship of your money. You divide the money that you've been given to you, and you don't just spend it all, right? Oh, man, I got 20 bucks for this babysitting job. I'm going to go blow it all right away, right? Uh, now, there might be certain things that you have to pay immediately. I totally understand that. But a lot of times our selfish uh, indulgence and our desire to live now tells us we want to spend that right away on that new pair of shoes or we want to go to that event with that individual. Um, I actually, I hated as a kid, but I appreciate now as an adult that my parents, when they gave me a weekly allowance, uh, I had a bank in my room that had three different drawers to it. The top one was labeled spending. The middle one was labeled uh, offering and the bottom one was called savings and I had to divide that money amongst those three drawers understanding that not all of it was going to go towards my own gratification some of it was going to go back to the church it was going to go back to the Lord and the rest of it was going to be put aside for savings which I'll tell you when you're a kid and you're earning five bucks a week or whatever that doesn't go very far in savings but it teaches you early on the principle that you need to be wise in how you handle your money rather than just blowing it all at once. Let's get a little bit more personal because most of you don't have a lot of money, I understand. Uh, but I guess a lot of you have a lot of homework most of the times, right? Ooh. Again, told you we're going to get a little personal here, right? So homework, understanding school even in the broad picture that 
it's an investment in your future, right? Not having this attitude of, oh, I'm never going to use this. This is stupid. And this teacher doesn't understand anything. No, you adopt an attitude that says, you know what? I'm going to go into this understanding that there actually maybe is something from this I can learn. Uh, I'm going to be humble enough in that to say that this actually is an investment in my future and not just right now, right? Or even how you approach your homework in doing and pacing yourself for the long term, right? So there's all kinds of things to this. Uh, but Rick Hollins, again, pastor we quote a lot around here, uh, says it this way. He says, laziness always rewards immediately. Hard work has a future reward in mind. Uh, so that's really the difference there between immediate and future reward. And in light of all that we've learned about the ant, I'm going to make a bold statement this morning. And you can feel free to come up to me later and argue this point. That's okay. Um, I would be happy to have this uh, this talk with you, but I'm going to make a bold statement this morning and feel free to disagree with me on this, but I believe very firmly based on what I see in the Bible that if you are a Christian, Christians should be the hardest working people in this world. I firmly believe that. I believe that Christians should be the best employees in their field. That doesn't mean they're the best in terms of their performance, that they always get perfect scores or uh, do everything to the, to the best possible ability, but you can never question the work ethic of somebody who is a follower of God. I, I truly believe that. You should be the best employees, the best workers, the best students, the best athletes because of your work ethic. And that is driven by a fact of what you understand you have been saved apart to do. Right? You are working to please the Lord. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Again, doesn't mean that you have to be the best, but the work ethic is always there. So let's, let's move on from the ants now. Uh, let's move on to our second biblical example, and let's look at the sluggard, the best nickname in all scripture. Uh, it just sounds gross saying it, right? Just say it real quick, sluggard. Right? You just feel slimy for saying it, don't you? Yeah. That's good, and that's the way it's supposed to be, uh, because laziness uh, should feel slimy, and now you'll remember that the next time you're tempted towards laziness. But I love uh, another phrase that's used for the lazy person in Scripture, uh, or for the sluggard. A few years ago, uh, Sovereign Grace Music did a kid's album on the book of Proverbs, uh, and they wrote songs describing you know, these different aspects of the Proverbs, and they wrote one on the sluggard. And the title of it is called Mr. Lazy Bones. It's a great song. You should look it up later. Mr. Lazy Bones. Uh, and the line that uh, it repeats itself in the chorus uh, of that song every time is that uh, lazy bones help us see what we never want to be. Right? And so the lazy bones, the sluggard, is actually put forth as an example for you from the Bible so that you would realize what you don't want to be. If you are a follower of God, this is what you do not want to be. And unfortunately, we're going to look at some things about the sluggard that can sometimes reveal some stuff that's uncomfortable for us that we need to talk about and we need to repent of. And that's good and that's right and that's appropriate. But we learn from both positive and negative examples. So what can we learn from the negative example of the sluggard? Uh, and in order to do this, I want us to actually jump over to another section of Proverbs that I think describes uh, sequentially the nature of the sluggard a little bit better. Go over to Proverbs 26 for a moment. Proverbs 26. Uh, 
And I want us to look at what uh, Solomon has to say about the sluggard in chapter 26, verses 13 to 16. I'm going to read it uh, for us, but I'll, I'll put it up on the screen for you as well here. So Proverbs 26, starting verse 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Uh, so there's four verses here, but four principles from the sluggard that I think are really important for us to think about this morning. And the first one is this, that the sluggard makes excuses. Uh, the lazy person is quick to make uh, excuses. Look at what uh, verse 13 said. Uh, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Sound out the alarm. I can't go outside today because there's a lion out there and I might, I might get devoured. Uh, reality is the, the, the irony of what this verse is trying to say is that the, the likelihood that there's a lion in the streets is probably not likely. Um, the sluggard is quick to find an excuse not to do what he needs to do. And here's the deal. We're natural excuse makers, aren't we? Excuses that are used to cover up our own mistakes and our failures to work hard. I mean, have you ever given an excuse to cover up your own laziness? Uh, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that question. When was the last time you used ex an excuse to cover up your laziness, right? To your parents? Oh, mom, I just, I didn't have the time to do it. I got so busy with my homework, right? Uh, to your parent, oh, I didn't have time to... To, to do my homework this week. Uh, I was too busy helping my parents. <laughs> right? you, you fill in the blank with whatever the excuse is, but we're, we're really good at finding excuses uh, to cover up uh, maybe some choices that we made that were actually lazy in nature. Um, procrastination, right, is perhaps the biggest excuse or at least the fuel for most excuses that we make. Um, so we need to, to own what has been entrusted and asked of you by your parent, by your coach, your, your employer, your teacher, whoever it is. We need to be people who are not known for making excuses. In fact, the scriptures say we need to be people who are known by our word that when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. Uh, that we don't go back on that. And so let's not uh, be like the sluggard who's quick to, to make excuses that just cover up laziness on our own part. Uh, but the second thing we see about the sluggard is that the sluggard lacks ambition. Uh, lacks ambition. And boy, is there so much that Proverbs has to say about this. But verse 14, going uh, on to what verse 14 says there. <laughs> this is one of the funniest illustrations in the Bible. Uh, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Uh, you got to really think about that one for a moment to get what it's saying here. Uh, and I think that John Kitchen, he's a, a commentator who I read for uh, my study of Proverbs. I love the way he says it here. And he actually uses the, the term lazy bones, actually. That's probably why I like it. But he says this, the lazy bones here is likened to a door that turns on its hinges. The door moves, but goes nowhere. 
It is motion without march, movement without mobility. Just so, the sluggard flips and flops from side to side, but never makes any progress toward getting out of bed and making his life useful. Ooh, that's, that's a jab there, isn't it? And yeah, that's, that is the point of what this verse is saying, is that uh, this person is so quick to move, but it's movement without purpose. Uh, I like to joke around years ago when I was at ice camp, one of my first years at ice camp, we had a student, man, loved the student so much, but uh, he was so good at moving stuff around on his bed and always in motion, and yet he never got anywhere. <laughs> I always describe to people, it was the funniest thing to watch because you're, you're thinking, okay, like he's finally getting ready, like he's getting out of his bed, like, he, and then 10 minutes later, he's actually no further along, even though there's the constant motion that's been happening for 10 minutes. You're like, what, what are you doing? Oh, man. But verse uh, 14 here is a graphic picture of the lazy individual who lacks motivation, though. Um, actually, if you were to go over to uh, chapter 20, verse 4, let me read this. Uh, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Um, in other words, they don't do the work when they're supposed to, but when uh, time comes, they expect something in return, but from other people who worked for them, uh, right? We call that in our uh, society, uh, we, we go even further than the sluggard. We call that the, the, the mooch or the leech, right? You're the person who wants from other people who put in the hard work, uh, even though you yourself didn't. Um, I'm sure you've never done that with homework before, right? No, too personal? Sorry. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, maybe you've done this with mom and dad, right? You want money, but you don't want to earn it with jobs or chores, right? Uh, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to earn money, but then you decide you want to do something, and now you expect that from other people, right? A sense of entitlement. But biblical wisdom, here's where we have to understand, biblical wisdom motivates us. It gives you purpose to rise each day and contribute rather than be lazy and selfish, uh, this lack of ambition is seen most in the sluggard and how he abuses sleep. We see that back in uh, our passage, verses 9 through 11 of chapter 6. Did you see all that language about sleep, right? Uh, about abusing sleep, being quick to rest, being quick to abuse the number of hours that he's sleeping, can't get out of bed. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that we lack ambition and yet feel entitled to things. And the Bible speaks very... Uh, poorly of such individuals. We need to be people who are quick to work hard with the right motivation. We're going to talk about what that motivation is in just a moment. Uh, but let's move on to verse uh, 15, where we see that the sluggard is quick to give up. Uh, the sluggard is quick to give up. Look at verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Um, if you thought that the last two verses and the pictures described there were funny, this one might take the cake. Uh, this is the idea of like the kid in the cookie jar. Like you're so excited to get what's in the jar and you grab onto the cookie, but then you're just like, ah, I just, I'm just too lazy to take my hand out. Like I just can't even eat it. I think of like uh, this, anybody ever watch Winnie the Pooh back in the day? Winnie the Pooh loves, loves that honey jar, loves getting that hand in there to get that sweet stuff out. Right? This idea that you put your hand in but then you're just, I just, I can't do it. I just, 
too lazy to even bring it back to our mouth. Like, that's, that's the epitome of laziness there. Uh, the idea is that even if the slugger musters up enough strength to start the task, it's very rare that he's going to finish. Laziness is commonly seen by not finishing what you start. Uh, and again, this would be, what a, what a poor testimony this would be for those who claim the name of God but have a reputation for being starters but not finishers. Uh, perhaps the task just becomes too hard, uh, or maybe you just get bored, and you're just quick to give up. I remember my sisters hated playing the board game, the, the game of life with me. Have you ever played the game of life before? Um, mostly because I had a reputation amongst my sisters, which is funny that you didn't develop a reputation amongst your own family members. I had a reputation for giving up on the game of life because I just got bored after a while, and yet I still wanted to always play. And they're like, you're not going to play. You always give up. I'm not going to give up this time. I'm not going to give up. So what would happen, they'd let me play, and 30 minutes into it, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> uh, the slugger develops a reputation among others, and it's not, it's not a good one. And in fact, Proverbs 10, verse 26, says this about the, the sluggard. Uh, this goes well with what we learned last week. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Uh, Creighton, how was that, uh, that vinegar last week? That was pretty rough, wasn't it? Yeah, vinegar on the mouth, on the tongue, not so good. Uh, most of you know, like you've sat around campfires before and you get that smoke in your eyes and it just burns and you're just always trying to avoid it. That's the idea of the sluggard. Nobody, like, that's the, that's the taste that's left in the mouth of people with this person or the annoyance that comes from this person. And so I want to ask you, is that the reputation you have or have started to develop among your friends? Uh, is that kind of the reputation you're developing even among your parents that when they ask something of you it's just they're like oh man I don't know I don't know what type of response we're going to get from them and they're just they're left with this sour taste in their mouth of like what are we going to do most importantly is that the way that you're being viewed by God at the end of the day, the perspective of our teachers, our coaches, our parents, while important, isn't the one that matters most. How does God see the way that you respond to doing things, to doing what's expected of you or what's asked of you by the right authority figures in your life? Don't be a person who gives up. But finally, you see what the, the sluggard, the sluggard rejects correction. I don't know if you caught on to this, but look at what verse uh, 16 says in uh, chapter 26. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. (laughs) The crazy thing in all this is that the sluggard, after all these verses, still thinks he knows what's best. Give it time, but you will come to notice that lazy people are some of the most self-justified and content people in our society. And they don't acknowledge that they're doing anything wrong. He or she has all the reasons, all the excuses for why they live their life the way that they do. Another author, Anthony Savaggio, says this. He says, the sluggard considers himself to be smarter than anyone else. 
And I've seen that even with young people before. That somehow, they just know better than their parents. They know better than their coaches. They know better than their teachers. And notice what it says here. It's smarter, or wiser in his own eyes, than seven sensible men. Uh, if you were in first service, you know seven. Again, we've talked about this before. Seven is that number of completion, perfection. Uh, seven men coming alongside this person to say, hey, what you're doing is, is not right here. And yet the sluggard still has the audacity and the capability of saying, no, I, I, I believe, I actually, it's okay. I got this. I know what I'm doing. And you're like, what, what is that? I've seen this with all kinds of sins, godly men coming alongside someone only to have them give excuses and justification for why they do what they do. Uh, student, if there is no excuse for laziness. If you claim to be a follower of God, if you claim to be someone who truly desires to walk in wisdom, there is no justification for allowing and for following in the steps of the sluggard. Now, we're going to talk about what that means here in just a moment, but I want to give you a few points to, to ponder in response to this particular passage. And a lot of these we've already mentioned here, but the first is this. Hard work reflects wisdom. Hard work reflects wisdom. It's true that non-Christians can also work hard. I don't want to disregard the fact that... Or, I'm not saying that only Christians are the hard workers of this world. Non-Christians can work hard as well. But the opposite, I want you to hear this this morning, the opposite cannot be true, that Christians can be lazy workers. That's not an option. We must see work as worship to God and service to other people. Rightly apply God's truth to your real life, right? That's what wisdom does. And we need to see work as good and right and appropriate. And that we can even, listen to this, not just do it because you know it's what's right and what's expected, but also you can find satisfaction in that. That you can actually delight in your work knowing that it benefits you and benefits others and serves God. That is, if you've ever heard somebody call something the sweet spot, that's the sweet spot. When you actually can delight in your homework and your uh, practice and your chores because you rightly understand how it serves you, serves others, and glorifies God. That's the sweet spot. That you can have satisfaction in getting things done, especially when they serve other people. Secondly, wisdom comes from God. And that's not a surprise. We've talked about that throughout Proverbs. Uh, this is what separates, though, the hard work of non-Christians from the hard work of Christians. It is a supernatural gift of God. When you think about things like self-discipline, self-control, love, goodness, kindness, those are all what we call fruits of the Spirit. Those are not just gifts uh, that you conjured up in your own strength. Those are supernatural things that God gives to you to serve other people. Uh, the answer, then, is not for you to just try harder and do better, but it's actually for you to trust deeper 
and to love greater. And here's what I mean by that. And I think this is where everything kind of comes to its head for this uh, lesson this morning. Love for God leads to working hard for the Lord. If there's anything you take away from this morning, I want this to be it. If you want to be a hard worker, then you need to love God better. It doesn't come from trying to conjure up some type of uh, work plan that you hadn't had in place before. It doesn't come from uh, getting a better management system in place. It comes from delighting in God better. And if you don't believe me, I think that this is where we see that. I think we see that in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, where Paul is writing to bond servants there, but the principle, I think, still applies to us today. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but, listen, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not... For men. You see here that it is sincerity of heart and fear for the Lord that motivates and drives hard work. If you love God, meaning that you rightly understand your relationship with him, you will work hard in all that you do. You're going to understand that your work is an expression of worship and gratitude to the God who has given you so much more than what you already deserve. I would say the opposite of that is also true, that a lack of love leads to a lack of work. Simple as that. Uh, this verse is revolutionary, and you need to memorize it. You need to commit it to your life. If you are struggling this morning with laziness, if this has convicted you in any way of laziness in your own life, I think there's really only two options. I think there's two responses here. And I think the first means this. It means that you're living in some form of sin. And it's okay for us to talk about that. And this is why I told you at the beginning. Laziness is kind of one of our respectable sins in our culture where it's just accepted and it's normalized. But it, that doesn't make it okay. And if, so, if, that's, if that's true of you, if you're seeing laziness in the way that you're relating to your uh, responsibilities around the house to mom and dad or in your work ethic as it comes to school or in you know music or s sports whatever it may be then you need to repent and you need to ask God to forgive you and to focus your uh, love focus on your love for him prioritize that because that's what's going to lead to you being motivated in the right ways to work for the Lord and not for other people so that's option number one. But option number two is kind of a harder one to swallow. But if persistent laziness is part of your life, I mean, you see throughout here that it's a mark of foolishness. And it may be something that you actually need to look at and examine deeper to see, am I really walking with the Lord? Is this actually reflective of a heart that doesn't worship God? Uh, and the good news is there's grace and the Lord, if he exposes that to you, if that's something that you need to repent of and come to faith in for the very first time. And that's, that's, that's a, a marvelous thing that the Lord must do. But again, the response is still the same. You need to repent of the way that you're living. and You need to turn to the source of life and freedom.
this hearty love for God is what will produce hearty work in this life. So these are the lessons that the Lord gives to us for those who are lazy. But the good news is there's much grace, right? And boy, my prayer is that you would find that sweet spot of understanding what it looks like to work as for the Lord heartily, with sincerity of hearts, and not just working for other people, not just looking, working to be seen by others, but ultimately seeing your work as an expression of your worship to the God who has given you so much more than you deserve. So let's pray and ask for God's favor on that, and you'll be dismissed. Uh, so, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these students. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you would convict hearts again where necessary. Uh, thank you for these two uh, biblical examples, uh, though I know one uh, was positive and the other was negative and uh, was hard. Uh, you use these things to convict where necessary uh, to bring us uh, back into right relationship and right worship with you. So I pray that you would do that. Um, help the students of Newcastle Bible Church, Lord, to be uh, countercultural in their schools, in their homes, uh, in their jobs, whatever it may be, Lord, that the world may see in them uh, a devotion to you that they don't see in anyone else. Uh, we know when that happens, you receive the glory uh, because you are deserving of it, and that's right and appropriate. So we pray that that would happen, uh, that you would be glorified through these students in Jesus' name. Amen.